Hello and welcome to the Parish Podcast of St. Anthony of Padua Catholic Church in the Woodlands, Texas. We're excited to share with you Sunday at St. Anthony's, a homily message from this past weekend that we hope you'll find enlightening. Thanks for tuning in and praying with us. When Jesus saw the crowd, he went up the mountain. And after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you. Two weeks ago, I preached on what ordinary time is, that it is a time when the church has us focus on discipleship, has us focused on how we're called to live, to follow Christ. We could call ordinary time a school, a school in which we're taught how to follow the master, because disciple means one who follows a master. And so much so, they follow the master so that, and they learn everything, like the ins and outs, everything he has to teach, that when you look upon the disciple, you see the master. It's with this in mind that the church presents to us the grandest sermon that Christ our Lord had, the Sermon on the Mount. And we hear it for the next few weeks, it leads us right into Lent. And so for the next few weeks, we will hear Christ himself teach us how to be disciples, teach us how we are to be like him, teach us what to expect if we are true disciples of his. Christ begins his sermon with beatitude. Now, beatitude, the beatitudes are very important, very deep, and if we're honest, a little confusing. But he starts with beatitude, with happiness, because he knows that's the deepest desire of all of our heart. And precisely as we pondered at Christmas, this is precisely what he desires to bring us, happiness and union with him. If anything, if we look at the scriptures today as a whole, we can look at now the beatitudes and see this is like a master class in discipleship. And it's with that then we go to the scriptures. 
What do we hear? We hear that Christ goes up onto the mountain, and there, in some translation, it says he opens his mouth and he teaches. For any Jewish person, and for all of us, we've heard plenty of homilies. We know like, that when someone goes up on a mountain, something important is about to happen. God always meets man on a mountain. And it's there in those encounters where God meets man and man meets God that he usually speaks to a prophet, and then a prophet will speak to the people of God. We know this especially to be true of Moses on Mount Sinai. Moses goes up, talks with God. God opens his mouth. Moses comes down and gives the law. Jesus is already showing that he is the new Moses, the one who has come, the one who will fulfill everything you ever saw Moses do. He, we, we know, like now in the fullness of Revelation, right, he will, of course, he has come to set us free with a new exodus from sin and the oppression of the devil. This will ponder in Lent as we journey towards Easter joy and freedom that God has for us. We know, too, that Christ, the new Moses, will provide for his people in the desert places, in this world, will provide with a new manna. In fact, one that's more miraculous than the manna that was in the desert because this will not be simple miraculous bread. No, this will now be God here to take care of his people. More than just feeding their stomachs, but feeding their hearts, their minds, their souls with himself. Him, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. But also here, God is showing himself to be a new Moses. In the Beatitudes, Christ is giving us a new law. We, his remnant, the ones that are spoken of and prophesied in that first reading, the ones who are going to be a smaller band of people than are the larger people of God, the ones who as true followers of Christ will, yes, put to shame the world. The way we live, the way we're like Christ will poke at the consciences of the world. We're supposed to be a people that's not merely in appearance his or ritually his or by bloodline his, but truly his, humble, holy, set apart in mind, in heart, in body, in soul, in everything, following after him. This call to his people is made today. This call to the remnant, which is you and I as well, is made as we are given the new law, the Beatitudes. So what are the Beatitudes? Well, I'm sure you've heard many various homilies and much, much, much could be said. I would give us one thing to ponder today. The Beatitudes are a snapshot of Christ. They are him teaching of who he is, teaching of himself, as well, of course, then, for us to know who we are to be and how we are to follow after him and how we are to attain blessedness, true happiness. Again, that thing that our heart so desires and that when we sin, we're trying to fill it, we're trying to bring it about, but we cannot on our own. Only God can provide that true happiness. And so let us dig in to see what God says will bring about our happiness. To look at the Beatitudes today, I only want to just look at the very beginning lines of each of them to understand a bit deeper what God is calling us to and to see, again, what he's revealing about himself. Blessed or happy are those who are poor in spirit. What does this mean? 
The Greek that's there is, it means those who are utterly dependent, totally surrendered to God. It is those for whom the kingdom of heaven will be. Blessed are those who mourn. St. Augustine helps us understand this one because it really seems paradoxical. And he reminds us that like, mourning was never supposed to exist in the Garden of Eden. It's only because of the sin in Adam of Eve. Adam and Eve, that, that, that sin enters the world, and thus suffering enters the world, and thus death enters the world. And it's that mourning over sin. It's that mourning over that death still exists. We see this when Jesus comes to his last miracle, the one where he raises Lazarus from the dead, shows that I am the Lord of the living, and I can conquer death. And it says he groans because he hates death. He wants to put it to death. He wants to conquer it and it to be done with. It's this sort of mourning with Christ where we mourn over our own sins. We mourn over the sins of the world. We mourn over the consequences of sin that allow, can allow us to be of one heart and be happy with God. Blessed are the meek. Now, we don't use meek a lot, that word. What does it mean? It means ones who yield to insult, who are patient with persecution. Why? Because they know that they can conquer evil with good. Sounds like Christ. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. The Greek here is still even more stronger. It means starving for righteousness. Starving for the good. They crave it with all of their being. Holiness and to do the good for God and neighbor. Sounds like our Christ. Blessed are the merciful mercy shall be theirs. But also, let, what does this say to us about our God? Those who are merciful are not just merciful to those who deserve it. Mercy for it to be truly mercy is to forgive those who do not in any way, shape, or form deserve that mercy. This is precisely who our God is. He comes, He came at Christmas. We've pondered this to encounter us then to live among us so he can bring us a church and the sacraments to forgive us, to reconcile us, to allow us to commune with him when precisely we do not in any way, shape, or form deserve it. Because he loves. He is mercy itself. Blessed are the pure of heart. Those ones who have integrity, who do not let their minds and their hearts be tainted by this world or corrupted by sin and the evils out there. Blessed are the peacemakers. St. Augustine tells us again what this means, that tranquility of order. Those who allow themselves to be ordered, but not just leaving it there, but go and will go out and order the world to help others come to know God, to love God, to serve God. They, being like Christ, who came to reorder the world, will be called children of God because they have become likened to the Son of God himself. And lastly, blessed are those who are insulted and persecuted for God's sake, for the sake of doing what is right in the sight of God. Dear family, I hope we can all see this picture of Christ. He who was the crucified one for righteousness' sake, 
He who came to bring peace, to reorder the entire world, to reorder man, to reconcile man to God, something we could never do without him. He came to make available God's mercy. Again, when we do not deserve it, he gives it. He craves our holiness. He craves the world to know him and be united with him. He weeps and mourns when people do not turn to him and let him love them. And he suffered meekly on that cross the insults and the jeers of the soldiers knowing that in his silence good would conquer evil. And happy was he to do it because he loves you and me. He knew and he utterly trusted in his Father's plan, in his fan, in the divine plan that through the cross, God could win and that the kingdom of God could reign. Now that might get us excited and very hopeful, but we also have to talk about reality. We know, brothers and sisters, if we are to be true disciples, if we are to follow after Christ in this way, he has told us what we can expect. Persecution and hatred and ridicule. And let's be honest, that will hurt. In fact, too, sometimes those who call themselves disciples will be the ones who hurt us. And that will cut even deeper. It will hurt immensely. But the hidden promise in the Beatitudes is that there is great cause still in the midst of trials and crosses for hope. If we will strive to keep ourselves innocent and undefiled, if we will mourn our sins and those of the world, if we will stand for righteousness and strive for peace, even if it means persecution like it did for the prophets, as it did for Christ our Lord, if we are merciful and we forgive, and those people who do not deserve our forgiveness, if we forgive like Christ, we will be called children of God. We will see him face to face, and the kingdom of God will be ours. This is our hope for eternal life. But lest we think it's just there, no, it is even ours possibly now, this blessedness, this happiness. This is the testimony of the saints, those saints that were misunderstood, who were persecuted, who even were martyred for their faith and discipleship in Christ. They were blessed. They were happy. Why? It goes back to that first beatitude, the one that the church sticks right at the heart of the Mass in the readings in that psalm. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are utterly dependent upon God, who trustfully surrender to Him in absolutely everything, especially the trials and the crosses of life. This dependency, this vulnerability, this trust, this giving to him everything in the joys and in the sorrows, every thought, every feeling, every desire, opening up our heart to him, that allowed those saints to be transformed. And it allowed them to participate in a new and more intimate way in the sacred heart of Jesus, which beats for love of them and for you and me. And they began to participate in heaven now. Brothers and sisters, this is what God wants for each one of us. 
This is why he will say later in the scriptures, take your cross, take it up. He knows that the cross is the means of intimacy for us. It was not just something for him to do. It is something for each one of us to do, to enter into, to go with him to it, and even go through it, empowered by him, strengthened by him, dependent upon him, the God who in our weakness can make us strong. Your family, his promise to us is that he will be there no matter how big the cross may be. And he is faithful. And he loves us so dearly. The question for us in ordinary time is will we be true disciples? Will we be the people, particularly his own, who will be ridiculed by the world, who will stand up for love of him who loved us first no matter what, that will conform our entire lives, everything to him and trusting him in everything without reserve? Will we follow after him to, into, and through that cross. If we do, then blessed will we be. St. Anthony of Padua.